Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream, or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. Hey, I just want to ask a question. How many of you in a personal way, those of you here, those of you watching from the the ballroom there in Cedar Rapids, or those of you in Wilton, how many of you in a personal way have had an experience with Jesus Christ? Just raise your hand. Amen. Amen. Hey, you know what? We can't just raise our hand to to that and just like be like, oh, well, so no big deal. We should celebrate that, right? Amen. That's right. Because that's really why we exist. That's why we're here on this earth as followers of Jesus Christ is to have experienced Jesus in our lives and then let his life flow through us to others around us, right? That's why we are here. I mean, my, when I met Jesus, it was very personal. It was as if he knew, ex- he, like I had never met him before, but it was like at that moment he knew everything about me. My inside out, he knew the hurts of my past. He knew the struggles I was going through. He knew, he knew that I had a father who had abandoned me. He knew about my mother and her, the abuse that she received at the hands of my father. She, he knew everything about me, and he loved me anyways. It wasn't as if, and sometimes it can be thought of, a, thought of this way, especially in a large crowd like this, where you know, you, we come to relationship with Jesus like somehow or another, hey, I was one of 50 people in a row, and he said, hey, all of you in that row, I now have a relationship with you. That's not how it happened. It was very personal. It was one-on-one. In fact, this is how Jesus lived his life. This is how he changed the world. He changed the world one person at a time. It's like, it's like when Jesus encountered some, someone, it was like, like time stopped. His plans, his agenda, the things that he was doing, they were put on pause. And at that moment, in that moment in history, at that moment, the person standing in front of him was all that mattered. And I know that many of you in this room, many of you watching from Cedar Rapids and many of you watching from Wilton, have experienced that very moment when it was just you and him. Amen? And man, my challenge every single day is just to relive that. To know that every single morning when I get up, there is a personal Jesus that wants to be in relationship with me. This is how Jesus changes the world, one person at a time. And this is how he wants us wants us to live. He wants us to live with this zoom kind of lens. Like in a crowd like this, my perspective is as I look out at this crowd, what I see is just a lot of faces. But Jesus, he zooms in and he sees one face at a time, one person at a time. Now, if you study the gospels, you'll find it's quite surprising how many stories there are of seemingly you know, random people, people you never met before, unlikely people that Jesus would have these, these personal interactions with. It was as if, 
It's as, it's as if the, the, the large, largest part of the gospel real estate is dedicated to telling these one-at-a-time stories of Jesus interacting with people we've never met before. This is how he is. This is how he lived his life. And this is how he invites us to live our lives as well, to see people where they are, to see, see who they are, to really, really see them. This is hard for us, though, because it's kind of counterintuitive. We... We don't often in our culture live with zoom lens. We live with selfie lens, <laughs> right? We look at ourselves all the time. Like, uh, I, I always get intrigued by, you know, I, I have a habit of maybe about every other day or so, maybe scan about 10 minutes on Facebook. And it's just interesting to me. Some of the people, even people that I know, you're not, none of you are in here, by the way, okay? Just so, just so you know, <laughs> that, uh, that like, like can spend a lot of time just videoing themselves or photographing themselves, you know, different faces. I don't get the whole tongue thing. Why stick, why do you stick your tongue out? I don't get it. But you know, that kind of stuff. I, you know, it's, it's the culture we live in. It's very much, we're self-absorbed. We, we, we often think more about ourselves than we think about other people. What's interesting is there's been a lot of studies done Studies that, that, that these, these researchers who are trying to, to understand what makes a person happy. Studies on happiness. And 100% of these studies have come back with the same conclusion. That we are happier when we focus more on other people than when we focus on ourselves. In fact, you can go look it up. It's called, it's called the happiness paradox. And we think that happiness is really about, if I could just do for me, if I could just fill my life with the things that I want, if I could just, you know, take care of me, that somehow I will be happier. happier. Here's, one, here's one of the ways that they conclude this. They say the afterglow, in other words, of people, they study these people, and what they did was they, they gave them two tasks. One was to go and spend a, uh, some, some money, hard money, on a completely selfish, self, you know, just, just something that would make you happy at least what you perceive that would make you happy, right? And just go do that, and then come back later and do another act, but this time it's spend, sacrifice some money and sacrifice it on somebody completely different, somebody outside of you. And here's what they concluded. The afterglow of the pleasure we find in doing something for ourselves, eating ice cream that you like, buying a new Apple device or whatever, the afterglow of doing something for ourselves pales in comparison to that of doing one selfless, selfless act for someone else. And their conclusion is that true happiness is found when we zoom in on other people and we serve other people. Here's the deal, our culture resists that. We live in a very transactional culture where we treat relationships, we treat other people as commodities. Like, I will be in relationship with you because of what you can offer to me. And as long as I'm getting what you can give, as long as I'm getting from you what, what, what I want, then I will do for you. But this is not how Jesus lived his life. Instead, he had a way of seeing people one at a time, recognizing their need, and then serving them and helping meet that need. So we're going to look um, in this series, we're going, to, uh, we're going to look at various different passages, but today we're going to look at, at Luke chapter 15. Now, if you've been around Life Church for any length of time, you know that I love 
Luke chapter 15. It's one of my favorite passages of scripture to preach from. Um, I just love it. Um, and there's a famous story in Luke 15. It's the story of the prodigal son. You've probably heard the story of the prodigal son. It's a famous story. I'm not going to talk on the prodigal son today, although I have many times in the past. I'm not going to do that today. But in Luke chapter 15, there's actually three parables. The last of the three is the story of the prodigal son. The second parable is the story of the lost coin. And the first parable is the story of the lost sheep. And so we're going to look, focus in on the story of the lost sheep today. That's what we're going to talk, out, talk specifically. But you need to understand, all three of these parables have a rhythm to them. They have a certain pattern. And the pattern is this. Jesus sees, Jesus saves, and Jesus celebrates. One at a time. They all talk about one. One coin, one sheep, one son. And Jesus sees it, Jesus saves, and then Jesus celebrates. And so let's look at this one here in, in the first one, the parable of the lost sheep. You know, what I want us to do first is to focus in on who's, who is he talking to, who's in this story. Verse one says, now the tax collectors, okay, this is how this, this gets started, this, Luke, this chapter 15 starts. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. This is the audience. This is not the typical church crowd. These aren't the people that are normally hanging out in the religious circles. These are, not, these are not people that necessarily are desirable. But I think it's important for us to understand that this is how, Jesus, this, is how this, this passage starts. And it's important to understand that Jesus had this ability of focusing in on those who normally the religious community would crop out. Like I have a, how many of you have, some of you probably have cropped photos in your, in your, in your, at your home, Right? Like there was a boyfriend once, and now you like the picture of you, but you don't like the picture of the boyfriend, so you crop that out, right? Jesus seems to focus in on the ones we tend to crop out. The tax collectors were liars, they were cheaters, they were people who had sold out to the Roman, Roman occupation. Um, they were really undesirable. They were just despised by their own people. And then there were sinners. And, you know, you would think, well, aren't we all sinners? Isn't everybody a sinner? Well, yes, that's true. But that's not really the category. That category sinner for the religious community at that time was a little bit different. It, it was kind of seen a couple ways. It's people who sinned for a living, like a prostitute. That was her job. She was a sinner by virtue of her job. And then the other way that they would see sinners is people who, because of something they did in their past, a shame of their parents, something their parents might have done, that got carried on, and they carried this on into their life, and so they too were considered sinners. And so the, the religious leaders of that time had categories for these people, tax collectors and sinners. This is how they categorized them. Verse two, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law so these are the religious leaders, muttered. I like that word. I've always liked that word when I read it because I have visual image of, of them muttering, right? <laughs> like complaining, like talking under their breath, saying some things about this, this Jesus cat, you know, like, oh, see what he's doing. <clears throat> they muttered and they said this, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Well, of course, Right? I mean, that's why he came. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Right? Even Jesus himself said, hey, I have not come for the healthy. The healthy don't need a doctor. I've come for the sick. 
But when they say this, they don't mean it as a compliment. They mean it as a criticism. And so this is the two things he does. He welcomes them and he eats with them. And so the question is, do you do that? I could ask myself, do I do that? Like I could probably make a case for welcoming, but do I eat with them? Do I take time, when I say them, I mean people that the religious community would often disregard, wouldn't want to have anything to do with it. Do I, do I spend time with them? Do I eat with them? It's interesting, the, the word welcome here is an interesting word. It's not, it doesn't mean like a reluctant welcome. Oh, like, hey, welcome to Life Church. You, can you sit in the back, please? <laughs> not that kind of welcome. And you laugh, but there's a few of us in this room that have done that. Like, yeah, those people. That's not the welcome here. That's not what it means here. It's this open arm embrace. It's the word that's used in a family context. It's when you welcome someone as a family or a close friend. And so these religious leaders, they watch Jesus welcome tax collectors and sinners, and this just, they're flabbergasted by it. They, saw, they see Jesus welcome them as a son, welcome them as a daughter, and that just blows their mind. How can he possibly be doing this? It doesn't make sense to them. So how did Jesus have that kind of vision for people? Like when he sees a tax collector, how is it that he welcomes a tax collector as a son? Well, it's because Jesus sees him as a son. Like he's a tax collector, he's a sinner for sure, he's done a lot of very bad things in his life, but Jesus sees him as a son. And he penetrates into his soul and his life and he recognizes, yeah, when he was a kid, he didn't have a whole lot, he really wanted more, he wanted to make something of his life, and so one thing came after another and before long he found himself in a, kind of with a wrong crowd with some people saying, hey, you can make a living by, by collecting taxes, and so he starts collecting taxes, and when he gets to the end of that road, he realizes, I am somewhere where I do not want to be. My people hate me, my family won't talk to me, I don't really want to be here, but I have no idea how to get back to the place where I know that God wants me to be until he meets Jesus. Because up to that moment, for everybody else around him, he was just a category. He was a tax collector. But then at that very moment, Jesus sees him as a son. There is power in seeing people. A prostitute. <clears throat> he sees her as a daughter. He knows. He knows that this isn't really what she chose. He knows about the abuse. He knows about the object objectification. He knows. He knows that she's been treated badly. And she's sort of caught in a circumstance of not of her own making. And he sees that. He doesn't see a prostitute, he sees a daughter. <clears throat> Some of my favorite moments in the Gospels are when Jesus unexpectedly runs into random people and then refers to them as son, your sins are forgiven. Daughter, go and be healed. It's like, wow. How, do you, how, do you, how, how can you call that person son or daughter? And I understand we see that because we, we see Jesus as this, you know, God the son, but, 
but there's more to it. It's like he's speaking life into them. He's letting them know that there's hope in this world, that you, for everybody else, you're a category, but to me and to God, you are a human being and I love you and I care about you. That's what Jesus is doing. And I understand that. I have four kids of my own. I always wanna know where they are. I stay in touch with them. Last year, my daughter, who's in the Air Force, she, she's stationed in Davis, at Davis Monthan Air Force Base in Tucson, Arizona. She's, she just moved there last year, so about a year ago, I get this frantic phone call from her. She says she walks out of her apartment and her car was stolen. And um, I said, your car was stolen? She goes, yeah. I said, did you call the police? No, so well, hang up now and call the police first, right? That's, that was the first, my first thing. But then she went on to say that, the, that that's not the worst part. The worst part was that her purse was in the car, of which then I you know, kind of gave her the unsolicited advice, never leave your purse in your car. But she didn't like it that, at that moment. <clears throat> but that wasn't even the worst part of the problem. The worst part of the problem is that in her in her purse was her common access card, which is a card that she's given as an officer in the Air Force to access certain top secret places on base. <laughs> and uh, she, you know, so it's, it's, she, you know, she could be in trouble, a lot of trouble for that. It all turned out okay. Somebody asked me after service, did it all turn out? Yeah, it all turned out okay. But here's the thing. I was, I was hearing her say this and suddenly all this stuff starts running through my head like all the bad things. My daughter, my 24-year-old daughter is gonna be, is in Tucson, Arizona, a strange place. It's, a, it's an evil place. It's a terrible place. She might get abducted and I might have to be like Liam Nielsen in, in the, the movie Taken or something. I've got a particular set of skills or whatever, you know. I don't know what I was, all this stuff is running through my head and, and I'm thinking I need to get on a plane right now and go meet her and be with her and protect her. Why was I feeling that? She's my daughter. She's my daughter. <clears throat> and this is how God sees you. <clears throat> like there's billions of people on this earth, but He sees you. He sees you. I like what St. Augustine says He loves each one of us as if there were only one of us. That's how he loves you. Religious leaders didn't understand this though. They're like just so perplexed. Why are you welcoming these people? And so Jesus wants them to see the way God sees. Jesus wants them to understand. And so he launches into this parable of this lost sheep. Verse three, so Jesus told them the story. Because they're confused, because they don't understand, how can he, how can he welcome sinners? How can we welcome tax collectors? I don't get that. Because of that, Jesus tells them this story. If a man has 100 sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Well, I, I mean, I'm not, I've never tended sheep, so I don't know what to do. They probably knew what to do. Like, if you have 100 sheep and one of them gets lost, what do you do? Now, because I don't know the whole, I, I now know the whole context, but because I, at first I didn't know the whole context of the story, I'd be like, well, it's just one sheep. You got 100, you lose one, I mean, sheep procreate, right? Don't worry about the one, right? That's what I would say. That's how I would think about it. I mean, I've, obviously, I don't know anything about sheep. One can be easily replaced. And anyways, you have 100. How do you know one's missing? 
Like, can you do, are you able, I guess you specifically count them or something, I don't know, but. So in those days, a large herd of sheep would have been like 20 or 30 sheep. And so that would be considered a pretty, you know, substantial herd. And so Jesus tells a story and he uses this ridiculously high number. A a man has a hundred sheep. Like two to three times the amount of sheep that anybody around them would ever have, right? And it's like he's trying to make this point. Like if you have a hundred sheep and you lose one, just one, you have 99 left, you still have three times as much as anybody else has. Why would you care, right? And so he's rhetorically asking this question, if we lose one, what do you do? Well, Jesus says, of course, what you do is you go after the one that is lost. That's what you do, you go after that one, you, you leave the 99 behind and you go, you go after the sheep that's lost until you find it. And he's trying to help them see something. He's trying to help them see, it doesn't matter how large the herd is, God sees every single one of them. He doesn't see them as a herd, he sees them as unique and individual, every single one of them. In the same way, right now in this room, God sees each and every single one of you. He sees you. I've taught from this passage many times and oftentimes when I use the word loss, I I refer to kind of like someone who wasn't a Christian or somebody who needs to hear the gospel, someone outside of church, but really what's interesting here in this story is what you have is someone who was a part of the flock and then left. Like they were in community and now they're out of community, they've wandered off. And Jesus says, that one is mine. That one that wandered off is mine, belongs to me. And for some of you, that's what's happening right now. Like you've walked through these doors and there's a lot of stories in this room. There's a lot of baggage in this room. There's a lot of heartache in this room. There's a lot of fist shaking at God in this room. And you've wandered off maybe. And here's what you need to understand. Maybe you came in here thinking, I'm anonymous, I'm abandoned, I'm orphaned, I'm rejected. But you need to see something. He sees you. He sees you. And he says, you are mine. You belong to me and I won't stop until I find you. That's how he is. He sees you as his own. So the shepherd goes off searching for the one and then in verse five it says, and when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home, he doesn't scold, he doesn't beat it with a staff, he rescues it, brings them home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I love this language here, how how it's crafted here in this passage. I found my lost sheep. Like I found, it's almost like saying I found the one. Like there's all these others, yes, there's 99 others, but I found the one. This is the one, this is the one I was looking for. It makes sense, that's why there's such a celebratory attitude because this is the one I have been looking for. It's like a rare treasure and I found it. It says, rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people 
who do not need to repent. This is the heart of Jesus, and this should be our heart as well, as his church. In fact, if you're here and you're a wanderer, and you've walked away from community, you've walked away from relationship with Christ in some way, you need to know that our, that our attitude is that you're welcome here. Our attitude is that there's a seat reserved for you, you're the one that we've been looking for. You belong here. This is home, so welcome home. <clears throat> I said, Church, I want us to go after people that are lost, I do. In fact, we dedicate resources here at Life Church to reach unreached people groups all over the world. The 80% of our missions funding that goes outside of this building that goes overseas goes to unreached people groups around the world. People who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, but also as a church, I want us to go after people that have wandered away. People who were once part of community and they've kind of left the flock. I had a conversation with somebody even this morning that they walked in and at the, at the back she just cried with me saying that I've, uh, <clears throat> I've walked away and I thought all the things I was going after, all those other, all those, all those other things I was searching out, I thought that was more what I wanted. I was angry about things here. I was angry about relationships here and I walked away and I realized that I've just been walking away from God. And she was crying, saying she was just so happy to be back. See, Jesus loves people, and he loves people with a zoom lens. He sees them. We say the word Jesus loves people, and we think collective. Everybody. But when I say Jesus loves people, Jesus loves Rich. Jesus loves John. Jesus loves Becky. Jesus loves Jonathan. Jesus loves Sarah. He loves people with a zoom lens. There's someone in your life right now that needs to be seen by you. And I don't know who that is. You may not know who that is. Maybe you just need to say, God, show me. Who, who needs to be seen by me? Who do I need to reach out, reach out to so that they don't go unseen? <clears throat> there's a guy, I said this this morning, and it's just humorous to me now, but there's a guy on TikTok, which I never thought I would ever say something like that in a sermon. There's a guy on TikTok. <laughs> Um, anyways, I don't have TikTok. I just get videos from Chris Carey who send me TikTok videos. And I get to watch the one he sends me, but then it tries to prompt me to download the app and see more. And I'm like, nah, that's okay. Not interested. Well, anyways, there's a guy on TikTok by the name of Devin Rodriguez who, his, what he does, he sits on the New York City subway and he, he sketches people sitting in, in, in the car, you know. He sketches them, you know, and, and, and then at the, after he finishes, he then hands them the picture. And there's all kinds of varied emotions and reactions to the picture that he hands. And he videotapes, the, the, he, he records them, and then he posts them on, on, on TikTok. Here's an example of one of them.
Why does she react that way? I mean, I'm certain she's looked at herself in the mirror. I'm certain that she could take a picture of herself with a phone and see, knows what she looks like. But she has this very emotional response from seeing a sketch of her on the train. Now, when Devin talks about this, his, this habit that he has, he's kind of being interviewed. Um, at first, he says he would sit on the subway and he would sketch these, these d- different sketches, you know, and then he would just put it in his briefcase and take them home. He wouldn't give it to the person, you know, he, maybe he was embarrassed or shy to do that, but he would take these sketches and he would t- take them home and hang them up, hang them up in, his, in, his, in his apartment, uh, I think like serial killer style, you know. <laughs> like total strangers that you just sketched. I don't know, it's kind of weird. But, but, but he would then, po- he would record and then he would p- post these on, on TikTok. And, he'd say, and he, he was saying how he'd post these on TikTok and they would never get any traction. Nobody would ever, you know, a couple hits, that's it. You know, nobody would really watch them. And then one day he sketched one and he, and he just felt so compelled to give it to the person. He gave it to the lady and then he posted that video on TikTok and within a week he had over 30 million views. And he recognized that there is power in being seen. In fact, one of the nurses that he sketched says this, there are 10 million people in this city, but there's something emotional about being seen. There's something powerful when somebody sees you. They see you. Now, you may not have the skills of Devin Rodriguez. I certainly don't have the skills of Devin Rodriguez. I couldn't do that. But God has gifted you. God has given you talented talents. God, is, uh, God has um, <clears throat> put you in circles of influence. People that you know, that you can actually speak life into. And you have the ability in your own sphere to see people. So as followers of Jesus Christ, that's the invitation for you and I, is to start zooming in on the people around us instead of just seeing them as a category. See them as who they are, God's creation, as followers of Christ. I have a good friend here at Life Church who understands the power of seeing. Don't want to embarrass him, so I'm not calling his name out. <clears throat> but uh, occasionally sends me emails and text messages. And on October 28th, he sent me this email. He said, Lord, thanks for Rich. Thank you for the word. Thank you for the word you spoke through him on prayer. Give him strength to stand in your glory when you appear. Just a simple message, but you wanna know how I felt after I received that? I felt seen by God. Sometimes it's easy for us to look at another person and think they are a little bit less than human. We don't mean that intentionally. Like we have needs, we don't see anybody else around us that has needs. There's power, there's power in seeing people and God wants to do this through you. Um, Again and again in gospels we read this of Jesus. Jesus sees people and often he sees them in their need. In John chapter five, he saw a crippled man. Now that crippled man had been seen by thousands and thousands and thousands of people thousands of people on a regular basis. Jesus walks up to him and he sees him and the man is healed. 
In John 6, he sees a crowd that is hungry, people that are hungry. In, John, in Matthew chapter 9, he sees crowds of people and he has compassion on them because they're like sheep without a shepherd. They're harassed and helpless. He sees them and he sees their need. I was reading this week, um, sheep wander off for a variety of different reasons. A couple of reasons is that, number one, they, they blindly graze. Like, you know, they... Like we, we might think that a sheep wanders off because, well, they're just in rebellion. Like they're tired of being in the part of that flock. You know, they're gonna find another one. You know, they just wanna leave. That's oftentimes how we think of why people leave. <clears throat> but sheep tend to blindly graze. Like they eat a little bit here and they eat a little bit there and then they eat a little bit more and then a little bit more. And before long, they look up and they're far away from the crowd. They're far away from the flock. They're disconnected, they're lost. They don't know how they got there, but they're now alone and, and in trouble. And this might be where some of you are right now. You didn't mean to. It wasn't your intention. It wasn't your plan. It just happened. You chased a certain appetite. And you've wandered off. And now you look up and you're outside of your community. You're in places that you don't really want to be there. But that's where you find yourself and you're in trouble. The other way that sheep tend to wander off is that they blindly follow. Um, like one sheep wanders off and then the other one sees that one going and so they just kind of follow and go in that direction. There's a story that happened in uh, the country of Turkey uh, in 2005. There was uh, uh, some sh- sheep herders. They had 1,500 sheep, okay? And then one morning the sheep herders said, hey, you know, let's go for breakfast. And so they left the sheep by themselves and they went off to breakfast. And, uh, and so one of the sheep was kind of blindly grazing and kind of grazed, 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 got to the edge of a cliff and fell off the edge of the cliff. But the problem, the, why the story made international news is because then all 1,500 other sheep followed that one sheep and fell off the edge of the cliff. All of them. There's good news to the story. Only 500 died. <laughs> the, the, because... Because, t- I'm serious, you, 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 don't, you don't believe me, just look this up, it's actually there. Uh, because they said this in the article because they provided a pillow effect for the others that were falling off. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> they just blindly followed right off the edge of a cliff. And this is how some of us have found ourselves lost. We just blindly followed and before we knew it, we were in trouble. Maybe you've wandered away because of an appetite, maybe you were just following somebody else, but it happened. And that's where you're at right now. And here's what you need to hear today. Jesus sees you. Jesus sees you. I wish I could shout it. I wish I could somehow imprint it on your mind. He sees you. He will chase after you. And we want to be that kind of church that sees people the way Jesus sees people. Not in categories, not in classifications, but as people that Jesus sees. Now, we just did a parable, we just kind of went through a parable and parables are stories, made up stories that Jesus would tell basically to give a a bigger point, a spiritual point. And so when you study a parable, you always have to ask the question, who am I in the parable? Who am I in this story, right? Now, most of us, as we're talking about this, we might think, well, I, I, I identify as the shepherd. Like, I want to rescue lost sheep. I want to go do that. I want, to, I want to seek them out, but that's not really who you are in this story. You are sheep. Sheep. 
I am sheep. You're either a lost sheep who has been found or you're the lost sheep that is being sought after. That's who you are. A few months ago in our lobby, a a lady stopped me to just kind of talk a little bit about her story and tell me about where she's at. She was kind of transient, coming, just passing through Iowa City. And um, she, uh, she, she starts talking about where she's gone and which, you know, what the circumstance of her life and all of that. And then she says, I've been, this is where she used, I've been searching for God for a long time. Now, normally when I'm in a lobby conversation situation, I have very limited time I can't like dive into a theological treatise <laughs> and discuss the deep things of God and scripture. And so I will kind of just like, oh, listen and not say a whole lot. But this particular time, I felt like I had to say something. And I said, I, I told her, I said, I understand. I think her name was Lindsay. I understand. I understand where you're coming from when you say you've been searching for God for a long time. But can I tell you something? God is not lost. God is not lost. In fact, maybe if you would, I got a little bold with her, if you would just come out of hiding, you can be found. And I don't know if some of you in this room, you might be feeling like God has forgotten me. I'm looking for answers. I'm, uh, I'm needing him to step in, but somehow I know he's so far away, he's distant. I don't even know where he's at. He has abandoned me. I'm an orphan, and you need to understand something. God is not lost. God's not far away. He's right here. But maybe what we've been doing is we've been searching for other types of gods, gods that will say yes to our behaviors, yes to our philosophies and our ideas. And so the challenge for you and I is to come out of hiding and let him find us. I'm telling you, he's searching. Amen. I'm going to ask us to stand. We're going to end with a song of worship. But I just can't help but feel if you're watching from Cedar Rapids in, in that lobby or Wilton or here, there might be some of you right now that you feel abandoned, you feel lost, you feel... Like you've, you've just, like you know, intellectually, you know about God. Like you know about him. You know he's great, he's awesome, he saves, but somehow or another, the collection of your sins and the mounting of your sins have left you to believe that's, that you're just a hard case and God doesn't want you. But you need to understand is you're that one that he sees and he's chasing after you and I know that in this room there are people right now that you it's hard for you to hear that but he's chasing after you he's not going to stop so maybe what you should do is just come out of hiding and surrender amen amen I'm going to pray for us and if that's you as, I, as I'm praying if that's you just say Lord Jesus I, I just come I come home, I come home, I'm here. Just just take my life. I surrender my heart to you, amen? Father, we just wanna thank you, Jesus, for who you are. You are the good shepherd. You have never stopped searching for that which is lost. They belong to you. 
And in this room right now or watching in Cedar Rapids or watching in Wilton, there are individuals that feel lost and disconnected and you are saying to them, I am your only hope. I am your salvation. I am the good shepherd. I'm the one that's gonna rescue you. And so today, Jesus, we collectively, we just surrender our hearts to you. We say, Jesus, here we are, take us. We repent for hiding. We repent for grazing off and going off in our own direction. We repent for following others in the wrong direction. Father, we are just here. Will you take us, take our lives. We surrender to you. In Jesus' name.